Father God, Lord, I thank you for this time, for this moment, the Sabbath that you've given us, that you have set aside for us to open our hearts and hear what it is you have to say to us. God, you have a message for each, purpose, for each person in this audience, for each family. God, I ask that you make that clear to them, that they may be open to your guiding. And as we spend some time in your word, may you just speak to us. May your spirit fill this room. In your precious name we pray. Amen. How good of a communicator are you? I'm not talking about public speaking, but simply in a conversation with another person, how well or how effective are you in your communicating to that person? In order to have a conversation and to tell someone your thoughts or idea, you have to think about it and find a way to make it make sense to that person. Essentially what I'm doing today in my attempt to communicate a message to you. But how good and how well do you communicate a thought or a message to someone? If we have a conversation with a group or a people, it's two things. It's one, being able to communicate well, and the second question is how well do you listen? I don't know if you're like me, but I have a problem with the second one. I'm quick to give advice and say and speak, and uh, I, sometimes I don't listen well, and uh, my wife reminds me of that. But how well do you listen? Before I was here, um, and previous to Chattanooga, I was a chaplain at the hospital. And in order to be a chaplain, there's some further education that's required, and it's called CPE, Clinical Pastoral Education. I see some heads nodding, so maybe you know what I'm talking about. Uh, in that process, you do a lot of self-reflection. You learn about your tendencies, your biases, kind of what has informed who you are today. And the better you know yourself, the better of a communicator and a listener you can be and know what to put aside when you're communicating with someone. The other piece to that is you learn how to be a good active listener from the mm-hmm, the ahas, the eye contact, the body language and, and how we are listening all affects how well we can respond back to that person and also letting them know that we are listening to what it is that they're saying. And if we truly want to engage in an in-depth conversation with someone, we not only need to learn how to respond well, but to listen well. In today's world, there's so many ways in which we communicate. And if you're like me, a millennial, some like to call us entitled millennials, but that's a conversation for a different day. But if you're like me, don't laugh, Jeff. I don't you're laughing. We communicate in various ways, mostly, a lot of them consist of technology. From text messaging to FaceTime, we use emojis and filters, and all of this is a way for the person that we're communicating with to actually get the message clear and across to them. And even with all those advancements in technology, sometimes our messages get lost in translation. Has anyone ever read a text message from, I don't know, maybe say a spouse, and you got a completely different message than the message they were intending for you to receive? Am I the only one? Probably, maybe, maybe not. But Vanessa, my wife, when we were dating, uh, we would text a lot. We still do. We do now because uh, she's over. She's in Tennessee with my daughter, and so we Facetime and we text, and that's how our, that's how we communicate daily. And we tell each other how our day is going and what happened at work, and then 
when she gets off of work, I get to kind of see them through, through video chatting. But when we were in college, we didn't have FaceTime, so uh, we did a lot of texting. And I remember one day, I think it was an anniversary, a dating anniversary that we had, she had this whole day planned out from the morning to the end of the day, and I could tell through her text that she was super excited about the events that were going to take place that she had uh, tentatively planned. So at the end of her uh, long text, she said, do you want to do this? And I said, sure. Well, she, the only problem is she didn't hear that sure. She heard it as a sure, I guess. As a sure, your idea is mediocre at best, as in, yes, you're my girlfriend and I'll do it because I love you and I, I'll go, you'll have to drag me out there. So then she responded with, well, then fine, you think of something. And I think she put her hand on her hip too when, when she said that, and that's my guess, in her text message. But I learned what words to say and what words not to say in our text. So I try to stay away from that, although she reminded me she was listening at second that I still do it sometimes. But I think she knows my intention. Um, but in our way of communication, uh, communicating, sometimes our words get lost. And we don't hear that person correctly or sometimes not even at all. So how do we hear the voice of God? How do you hear the voice of God right now in your life, specifically in your context, whether it's at work, with your family, relative, spouse, neighbor, where you're gonna go to college, where you're gonna work, where you're gonna live. How does God speak to you in those moments of your life? See, it's our duty as Christians, as followers of Jesus to seek and be in tune to what God is trying to tell us and what his voice is saying each and every day of our lives. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, which many, have, many consider, they've nicknamed it the Gospel of the Holy Spirit, you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospel of Jesus, and immediately what follows is Acts, and they call it the Gospel of the Holy Spirit, and it's flooded with ideas and words and give us, to give us more clarity as to who the Holy Spirit is. In the very beginning of the book, we're told about the coming of the Spirit. So we're starting in verse 4, Acts 1, verse 4, going through verse 8. Once when he was eating with them, he commanded them, Do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he has, he's promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water, but in just a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? He replied, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So here is a command. Jesus is communicating his message to these disciples, to the group of men that he is talking to in that time. The message is clear. It's face to face. There is no technology standing between Jesus and these people. He's, he's giving them a command to be witnesses of him. 
See, Jesus is on the cusp of leaving the earth. He spent his time here. His ministry is now coming to a close. It did, and he's now going back to the holy place where he came from to be with his father, the place he left to save us from our sinful natures. And he talks about how soon they will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. In in verse 8, we see the result of the coming of the Spirit. And it says they are to be witnesses to the ends of the earth. It's interesting to note the order in which and how they are to witness. One author says this order of apostolic preaching and success supplies the proper key to the plan of the Acts, which relates first to the progress of the gospel, starting in Jerusalem and then in all Judea and then in Samaria. And if you've read Acts, Acts 1 through 9 are specifically for the spreading and the witnessing of these three places. And then in Acts 10 through 28 is specifically for the spreading of the gospel to the ends of the, wor- of the world. So there is a progress and a, and a reason why Jesus commands them to do it in this order. In other words, he's saying, don't expect me to give you the anointing of my spirit and influence the rest of the world until your own home where you currently are is in order. He says, first fix this place. Get your own home in order and then go to Judea and then Samaria and then to the ends of the earth. And those are the very last words that we hear Jesus speak before he goes to heaven. And he says, the most important thing I want you to remember is to be witnesses of me. First in Jerusalem, then in Judea, then in Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. He gives them assurance that he will not leave them, but they are to continue to depend on him through the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Then the very next thing that we see is the disciples coming together in Jerusalem as they were instructed to do so, as Jesus directed them to. And the Bible says that they do what? They come together in prayer and in supplication. The very first thing that they do once Jesus leaves them is they go back to the source, to their savior, in prayer and in supplication. This is what I love about the teachings of Jesus is that they are all angled towards bringing man, humanity, to the ends of themselves. In other words, showing us that we are in need of a savior. See, our jobs as leaders, and all of us, I believe, have a sense of Uh, have a calling to be leaders in whatever context you are, whether it's at work or in your family. We are all influencers in our own space. And our job is to not create a dependency upon ourselves, but a dependency to someone greater. A dependency to God. That we lead people in prayer and in supplication, that they listen to the voice of God and the leading in their life through whatever situation that they may be going through. As we pursue our own life, God pursues us and asks us the question, can you hear me now? It's biblical, God pursues us relentlessly and recklessly and he keeps chasing, asking us that question, can you hear me now? Let's talk about that word supplication for a second that we see in the book of Acts. It literally means the actions of asking or begging for something, 
earnestly or humbly. As we just said, Jesus had ascended to heaven and the very next thing they do in desperation is they come together collectively as a unit and they pray and they listen. And they listen for what the Holy Spirit is trying to tell them to do in that moment, what their purpose is. They had a direction, they knew where to go, but they were seeking more guidance through the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And it doesn't say exactly what they were praying for, but immediately after, Peter stands up in the middle and he, and he uh, talks about Matthias being the 12th disciple. If you had any doubts as to what kind of teacher Jesus was, here is proof that he was, great, he was the greatest of them all. In the very moment that Jesus leaves his people, they go back to him. They go back to him and they seek his guidance, knowing that in and of themselves they cannot do this, that they are insufficient. In the state of their brokenness, of their imperfection, they still need to go back to their source. So how do you hear the voice of God? How do you prepare yourself for that moment? Is it through a friend that gives you affirmation? Is it through a feeling that you get when you need to make a decision whether it's right or whether it's wrong? Or is it scripture that leads you in your decision making? Or do you even hear the voice of God at all? I wanna suggest that in order for us to hear God today in our world right now, we must realize the current state of our brokenness, of our imperfections, of our humanity, that we alone cannot come to our purpose in life until we come to the, ends of our, to the end of ourselves and realize our need for a savior and open to what it is that he has to say to us today. And sometimes you don't realize God is all you need until the moment God is all that you have. Do we have any fans here of The Voice? Anyone watch The Voice? A few of you guys, good, yeah, I'm not alone. I was reminded actually in the first service, I said there's three judges, there's four. American Idol has three. But there's debates as to which one's better. American Idol, The Voice, and you can say American Idol was the first one. They have more superstars and they put out more artists. There's some heated debates on social media as to which one's better and why. But what I love about the show, The Voice, is that you have four judges and each of them bring a different style of music or a preference of what they are good at, of what they've owned, what they know. They've owned that area and they do a good, and they do a good job at getting a variety. And if you've ever seen the show, you know that the judges uh, are, all have their backs turned and all they can go by is what? It's the sound of their voice. They can't go by the house band because that band plays for every, uh, every uh, contestant. So they, they can't go by a, a good band maybe influences how good the singer is. All they can go by is the sound of their voice. And each judge is looking for a distinct, specific sound. A sound that's different, a sound that they are wanting to hear. That maybe is what they're good at. And I've seen it happen so much in this show that a judge will pass up a really good artist because they're looking for one specific sound that they miss out on the winning contestant. And I see myself do this all the time in my walk with God. I ask God for an answer for a, situ for a situation that I'm going through 
but I ask him looking for one specific answer, the answer that I want to hear, the answer that I think is best. And I structure my questions and try to corner God and saying, God, answer it, but answer it this way and do it my way. Putting God in a box and saying, I'm ready to receive whatever you want me to do as long as I'm okay with it and I'm comfortable with what you have to say. And so many times I find myself realizing that once I do that, it wasn't what was best for my life. As a result, I miss on God, on what God is intending for me to do in that moment in my life. And then I go as far as to say, well, I didn't hear God's voice. He didn't speak to me because I had my sights set on one specific answer to my prayer. And so in our desperate need of state of humanity, we look for answers. We're looking to be rescued from something. All of us are needing rescuing from something, whether it's an addiction, it's the love of money, it's a, it's a marriage that we're trying to save. Maybe it's a relationship with a, a son or a daughter, or maybe it's the daughter or son who's needing guidance to rekindle that relationship that they've had with their father or their mother. But we're all needing saving from something. And if Jesus is the center of what we do, of how we pray and who we pray to, we ask him to bring us through the situation in our lives and to give us the answers to our problems. It's what, what he says to do in the Bible, to come to him when we are in need. And the beautiful truth is sometimes we don't like what God has to say, but we need to hear it. In order to hear God clearly as he pursues us and asks us the question, can you hear me now? we must be willing to come to the end of ourselves. No matter what successes we've had, no matter how good life is, we must still realize that our dependence must be towards someone greater, to our Savior. And we must be open to a radical response from God, even if it isn't the one that we think we want to hear, we need to hear. What follows in Acts 2 is the day of Pentecost. I don't want to spend too much time in here, but I really want to talk about what Pentecost meant and what it was. It was a meeting in one place, essentially what we're doing right here, right now. Specifically, this says a house. Some say it was a very large home where this meeting took place. But the the day of Pentecost to the Jews was the 50th day after Passover. It was an agricultural festival. It was the day when farmers brought the first of wheat from the crop and offered it to God as a sign of gratitude and prayer that the rest of their crop would would safely be gathered. But this wasn't simply a festival. This was a day in which God gave his redeemed people the way of life by which they must now carry out his purposes. So what we see in Acts 1 is now happening in Acts 2 on the day of Pentecost, and it was a day where the Jews recognized that they must give of what they have to their Savior, and they must seek for God's guidance for their, pur- for their purpose in their life. And they do it openly. They do it, they come to the end of themselves and giving and saying, God, what is the purpose that you have for me? They don't do it with one specific answer and one plan in mind. They do it with an open heart, being open to a radical response. 
See, the Jews, they prayed for a savior and they asked God to send them one and he did, but it wasn't the one that they were expecting. They expected someone to come through the clouds, maybe on a white horse with trumpets on a throne or something like that. Instead, God sent a baby in a manger to save the world and they missed his voice. So what does it mean once we open ourselves, we come to the end of who we are and we're open to God's leading in our life? The result of that is the filling of the spirit where God pours his spirit upon you and me and the people. So what does it look like to be filled by the spirit? Well, the filling of the spirit is separate from the baptism of the spirit. The spirit's baptism occurs once for each believer. The filling of the spirit is a repeated occurrence, day in and day out, asking for God to fill you with his spirit. Acts 2.17 talks about what happens when we do that. 2.17 through 21, it says, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, and your old men will dream dreams. And in those days, I will pour out my spirit, even on my manservants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. And I will cause wonders in the heavens above and signs on earth below, blood and fire and clouds of smoke. The sun will become dark and the moon will turn blood red before that great and glorious day of the Lord arrives. But everyone, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So what does it look like to be filled by the Spirit? Well, Acts 2 is very clear. To be filled by the Spirit means you communicate the gospel effectively. Back in five, verse five through 13, we see each tribe was hearing the witnessing of God in their own language. To be filled by the Spirit means you're taken beyond your capabilities as a human being. And 17 talks about sons and daughters prophesying and young men seeing visions. To be filled by the Spirit means you contradict the cultural norm means you go against maybe the, the, the days of what's normal. This is what Jesus was and his entire ministry is going against what was normal. And maybe if you're walking in your spiritual journey and you seem not to be challenged, maybe you need to step back and say, God, how am I contradicting the normality of this world right now for your purpose? And ultimately being filled by the Spirit means we are led to salvation but everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. As we do this individually, as God said, get your own house in order first before going out to the ends of the earth. As we do this in our own homes, in our own lives, we come together collectively as a group. And what does that look like? Well, Acts 2.42 says, all the believers devoted themselves to teaching and to the fellowship and to the sharing of meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. Verse 46, they worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all people. And each day, the Lord added to their fellowship and those, to those who were being saved. That is our prayer as a church, as a believer, is that we become this, 
right here, Acts 2, 42 to 46, that we become a church that we share, we gather together, and God adds to us daily. But it starts here. It starts in our own home. Asking God, we want to hear your voice. We're open to radical change, radical responses. And once we do it here, then we go to the ends of the earth with the witnessing of our Savior. But again, it starts with listening and being open to the voice of God and what he's intending for you to do. Pastor Jeff wanted me to talk a little bit about my call to ministry. And I found it appropriate to, to talk about it because it had to do with God's voice in my life. When I graduated high school, my first, uh, first semester I went to, to UCF. And I'm, mind you, I'm coming from FLA and probably some of you guys uh, know exactly what I'm talking about. But you come from a small school to a school of, at the time, 55,000 students, very overwhelming. I was gonna take nursing. And uh, I said, I'm going to do nursing. All the while, throughout my high school life, I felt this calling, this voice pushing me to do ministry, a calling to give my life to God and my work. And so I kind of pushed that aside, stayed at UCF, realized it wasn't the school for me, so I went to Southern. And I said, okay, God, I hear you. hear your voice. So I'm going to still do nursing, but I'm just going to minor in religion. It'll satisfy you, you know, I, I'm listening, I'm, I'm being obedient, I'm just gonna minor in it. I took my first nursing class, it was like a prereq, and I'm like, nope, this is not for me, there's no way I'm gonna do this. No, and no, I mean, just the talks about what you had to do as a nurse, not interested. So I said, you know what, I'm gonna do PE. I love sports, it's great, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pay a lot of money to be a PE teacher. No offense to anyone who's a PE teacher. I loved my PE teachers. But as I took PE and I started going down that route, I loved it. And my advisor pulled me aside at the time. A lot of, a lot of schools weren't hiring. Uh, it was a tough time for all the conferences, I think, uh, in the schools. And he said, you need to get a different, uh, either a different major or another minor. And I'm like, well, I'm not doing more school. So I said, all right, I need to reevaluate what I want to do. So that summer, I, I kept that minor in religion kind of in my back pocket. That summer, uh, I was dating, it was, me and Vanessa were dating, and I told her I was gonna go back home to Florida and study. And I'm like, I'm just gonna do nursing, I'll figure it out, I'll be done in two years, like this is fine, uh, and I'll do it at Florida Hospital College, I'm sure, it was Florida Hospital College at the time, I'm sure I can do some kind of religion, something there. And that summer, when I told Vanessa that, it was a tough summer for us, but I began to push the voice of God further and further away, up, up until the point where I began to wonder if God even existed, if there was a God. And so my wrestling with that, going back and forth, I would think to myself, why would I even go into something full on if I don't even believe in what I'm doing? And so I remember it clearly one day I'm going to work. I, I worked at the hospital as a transporter, taking patients to and from tests. And I remember taking this guy that morning, or before that, I'm praying and I'm saying, God, if you exist, you need to show me today. So I'm taking this guy to dialysis. He's 30-something years old. His name was Christopher. And he's telling me his whole life story. 
I don't say a word. I'm not telling him what's going on with me. The only people that were knew what was kind of happening was pretty much uh, my, wife, my, my girlfriend at the time, Vanessa. And he just goes on, tells me his whole life story. He's on dialysis, 30-something years old. And then at the end, he's like, I want to go to your church. He did ask me if I went to church. And I'm like, man, I don't even know if I'm going to church tomorrow. This was a Friday. And uh, I gave him my number. I don't, don't know if I should have done that or not, but I did. And I said, I hope he doesn't ask me for a ride because I don't know if I'm going to even be at church. So I'm talking to Vanessa that night, and I get a phone call. And it's from him. I didn't recognize the number. I'm like, I bet you I know who this is. So I flip over, and I say hello, and it's him. He's beating around the bush a little bit. He's kind of just making small talk, told me how he got discharged. And then he says, you know, I used to be a pastor. And I said, no, I didn't know that. And he said, you know, when, when God has something he needs me to tell somebody, he doesn't let me go to sleep. And I'm here in my own bed and come from my own home and I can't fall asleep because I need to tell you that whatever it is you're going through, God is there for you. And that very moment, he didn't know anything. And that very moment, I almost, I, I think I dropped the phone and this cold like rush came over my body. And I said, okay, God, I'm not questioning your supremacy anymore. Your existence, I know you're real. And I called Vanessa, I forgot that she was on the other line. So she hung up already, went back, called her, told her what was happening. And that night I said, okay, I need to stop ignoring this other, this voice, this, this call to ministry. And I said, God, if this is what you want me to do, I'm, we're on a roll here. You've answered this one question. You were very clear. If you want me to go into ministry, I'm ready to commit to that, but you need to give me another sign. Saturday came, nothing, no sign. I'm kind of like, I go to church, kind of seeing if something, someone's gonna come up to me. Nothing happens, I'm in the clear. It's sundown, technically it's not Saturday anymore. So I feel good. Sunday morning I get a phone call from a guy who I went to Southern with my first year. He was graduating. He had graduated, was pastoring, and he said, hey man, you remember, asked me how I was doing, said he'd been thinking about me a lot. He said, you remember when I asked you about going into ministry when you were a freshman at Southern and you laughed at me? And I said, I don't remember. Well, he said, I'm gonna forgive you for that. But this week we just passed, um, the board passed uh, hiring an intern youth pastor for the summer. And you've been on my mind, you and Vanessa, just thinking of how you guys were doing. And I think God put you on my heart and I wanna extend that invitation to you. I said, there's no way, there is no way this is happening to me. So to make a long story short, later that week, uh, the following Saturday, I think it was, Pastor Mark reached out to my parents, he hadn't seen me in a while, asked if I was around for the summer and if I'd be willing to help him in his area of ministry. And then a third one at another church around here that my aunt went to, all three opportunities in one week. And I said, okay, God, your voice is clear. I'm ready for this radical calling to ministry. So how do we hear the voice of God and do we push God away so far that it becomes dis distance almost to where we begin to question if God even exists? My prayer is that we get to this point. As Acts says, it was a, it was a daily occurrence of asking God, begging earnestly for his guidance in our lives. What's God calling you to do? Whether you're young, you're old, God has a purpose for each and every one of us and God has a purpose for this church. But it starts with getting our own home in order. It starts with 
asking him to hear his voice, coming to the end of ourselves, knowing that we ourselves cannot fulfill our purpose. And as we do that, as individually, we collectively become an influence, a strong influence in this city. As Acts says, we are living in the times of the end, and he's looking for a people, a person, to pour out his spirit upon. And my prayer is that we become that church. That when God says, can you hear me now? We can all say, yes, God, we're ready for your radical transformation and a radical calling.